Welcome back to another episode of the Excellence Cartel. Yeah, I guess. All right, that's where I'm at. Lauren, happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> if you guys, yeah, Laura Conlon's joining us today. We just forgot where it is her birthday. I was threatening to sing her happy birthday, but she passed. She was yeah, not I'm, feeling it. I really appreciate it, but we're all good. <laughs> I feel like me and Sue could have top gunned you there. You know, like the, you've lost that lonely feeling kind of moment. I feel like it could have been very, very suave had we tried. But today, today we're going to talk about all things reverse dieting. And Lauren, as we all know, is the bomb at this topic. So I thought of no other better person than to reach out and bring her back on to join myself and Sue. But first, guys, if y'all got any uh, shares or reviews for us, please leave them. You know, maybe new hamstring routine for Jeffrey Sue. He's really trying to improve upon his third place placing at Junior uh, USA. So, you know, maybe something about how Jason's, you know, aging semi well, I guess, you know, maybe some longevity tips or hell, you guys could give me some fashion tips. I'll take whatever. But the point being is shares, reviews, all that always helps us. So we appreciate it. We're going to be giving away some random new ethics products. Uh, so be sure to tag all of us, myself, Sue, Jason, Excellence Cartel, and we'll hook you guys up. We're going to be picking probably the best ones. So if you want to wait to my heart, it's got to be funny and probably pick on Jeff a little bit. Small, small, not a lot, small. But he picks on me, so it's okay. But Amino Asylum, guys, support them. TEC15, they've been really good for us. We've been able to use the staff for the uh, PEC off the funds that they give uh, that you guys have been contributing, so that always helps make our Physique Education Collective awesome. And speaking of which, that's coming up in May. May 21st, 22nd, Nashville, Tennessee. Woo! This will be probably the last one we do in Nashville for a very long time because this will be the second time we've done it. And then we're looking at doing another one in the fall time. So if you guys are interested, www.physiqueeducationcollective.com. You can actually meet Lauren in person. You guys can see how Sue does his hair. It's really spectacular, actually. Um, and, you know, see how short I really am in person. So it all works. But in the meantime, Jeff, how's your last seven days been? You know, man, I've been cranking on both ends for the last... Uh, Seven whoa, whoa, whoa. Days. Define this. What do you mean cranking on both ends? It sounds real <laughs> fucking weird already. <laughs> no, I just I just mean that business has been really good. Oh, um, okay. Whew. I've been working hard, man, between like, you know, new signups from like referrals, people finding me like randomly, like from Google and like renewals and stuff. Like I've been really busy. And, you know, I, I said today on my, you know, like step-by-step walk and talk, you know, thank you to everybody who has, you know, referred me and mentioned my name and everything like that. Obviously, I appreciate that deeply. Um, one cool thing that I, uh, announced on my Instagram is that I'll be doing a live Q and a now on the first Monday of every month called first call up Mondays. And maybe I'll have you on here on, on my Q and a Jeff, and maybe you Lauren down the line as well. Um, I've already reached out to a couple of people. I, I think Jason's in Austin's in, um, another girl. I, I don't want to mention her name yet. Cause it's going to be a surprise, but she's going to be in as well. Um, I talked to her. And so it'll be really cool once a month, get on there and just help some people out and, um, you know, obviously promote other coaches. Um, I think it'll be really fun. But other than that, Jeff, you know, my training has been going great. I, you know, I've been getting back in terms of like strength training. So I've been benching heavy, deadlifting heavy and hack squatting my brains out, you know, building the hamstrings. So life is good. I give you credit, man. You kill that social media. I'm like in a massive burnout with it right now. I just can't be motivated to get on it or do anything on it lately. It seems like a struggle. Like I actually have to fucking calendar it now just so I'll actually do it. And I used to have an opposite problem this time last year, but now I'm just like, yeah, yeah. I'm tired of it. You know, I feel that too. I think all of us, you know, have felt that before. And I, yeah. you know, have a loose schedule that I follow, but I go in spurts, man. Sometimes like when I don't post, people will DM me. They'll be like, are you okay? Like, where are you? I'm like, I just want a break, you know? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. I'll give you credit though. Like I said, you Makes dominate sense. on that end. Lauren, how's your last seven days been? Are you still doing the jujitsu and all that? Yeah. Well, Excellent. so I've had a rough few months. So I did a competition back in November, the end of November. It was great. And then, you know, like the holidays came up. So it kind of took a few weeks. And then when I got back into training in December, I started having this really, really bad foot pain. And we're still not really sure if it was like actual foot pain or if it was like back pain referring to, you know, we're not really sure what it was, but pretty much since December, my like lifting my like act daily activity and jujitsu has been pretty low 
which really, really kind of blows. But, um, you know, I was able to go in and do some technique stuff and some drills, but, you know, you're using your feet, obviously, for everything because you're on your feet. And even just like walking, you know, there was there was literally weeks where I couldn't even just go and walk like I had to sit all day. So kind of a rough few months physically, um, but business has been good. You know, the coaches are doing awesome. Our, our clients are doing awesome. And we're really putting a lot of effort into our podcast. We've been doing that since last year, but we've really, really doubled down on that. So we put out two a week and it's been really, really fun. And it's, I'm in the same position. I fucking hate social media. Uh, so for a lot of reasons, I look entirely too much into all this stuff. And part of me doesn't like it because of like, how it works you know what I mean so I think yeah. like, I get really stubborn over that um but the podcast is honestly awesome and I love that kind of platform anyway for us coaches because it just is better it, it, it's a better expression of what we do as coaches you know what I mean a, a, an Instagram post can be great um and it can be insightful but it's only a tiny fraction of the picture whereas obviously a podcast you can really dive into something with a lot more nuance so we're fully into the podcast. Um, and actually the past seven days I was in for five days, actually I was in Colorado. So I was learning how to ski, um, which was quite the experience. And, um, so right before that, literally I'd been in Arizona for a few days, was home for two days and then was out in Colorado. So lots of different stuff than I'm used to as far as, uh, environment goes, but skiing was interesting. And um, it is great that I can work from anywhere. So it'd be fun. I would just like wake up early. I'd work for a few hours and then we'd go ski and then I'd go to bed early, get up, you know, so it's, it's definitely a perk of being able to do that. Um, but yeah, I fell a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, how would you rate yourself for the skiing? Like, how would you say you did? Um, I guess, I mean, for have never like, so if you ever look at skiing, like you like watch people doing it and you're like, oh, it's just so easy. Like it looks so effortless, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, but it's not. And there's a lot of like the technique is honestly kind of not very intuitive. So I would say by the third day and like the third lesson, like I was kind of like, okay, like I can go down this little like baby mountain. Like I, you know, maybe I, I fall or like I kind of slow down when I shouldn't. But overall, I kind of feel like I got, it. I feel like if I was there for a few more days, I would have felt a lot better. But those first two days were really rough with the learning. But that's to be expected because I've literally never done it. Um, and I'm not even like used to just being in snow, you know, so there's just like, mm -hmm. no, nothing I've ever done like that. So I would say there was a low rating for those three days, but snowshoeing, I dominated. I could do that all day. That was much more my speed because it's slow and it's very physically demanding. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Whereas skiing is not very physically demanding, but it was very technical. <laughs> right. <laughs> so a little bit harder for me. <laughs> but overall highly recommend it. So it was oh, good. cool. I'm glad you had a good time. You deserve that. What a way to ring in 29. Yep. 29. There you go. All 29. right. Happy birthday. All right. So my last seven days have been the duality of life. Um, I recorded the podcast Tuesday with you guys. So it was shot with Dr. Sean Golden and, um, I was in my bed and I put my phone on, I always put ocean time on and my, it went off and I'm like, damn man, my internet, cave out or something and then like i'm like sitting there and it didn't go back and then like it went back on and then like a second later went back off i'm like well shit who's calling me everyone knows i'm in bed and it was keegan um his best friend um who was 11 committed suicide and keegan heard it and witnessed the subsequent scene unfold so um we you know he had a very uh uh it was a very long 24 hours for all of us involved and all that and, and how that unfolded um, but the funeral was uh, Sunday and he handled it great for his first funeral and it's in a great spot. So that's all you can kind of hope for. Um, but just a real tragic thing, top to bottom. And then on the other side, the duality, I bought a house, um, a brand new build. Uh, I jumped a list of over 300 people because <laughs> my realtor just managed to get lucky on this one thing and put the money down and I'll be moved in in uh, August. Um, so uh, that was pretty cool. And then I had to turn down a board seat um for a nonprofit, uh, i just don't have the time and that was kind of cool to be presented the opportunity but when looking at the demands of trying to grow a coaching staff as i know you know lauren combined with running a gym combined with all the cool projects and everything else i've got going on it just was like i don't even have an hour for myself to find a properly sh you know like take a hot shower i don't have five hours i can spare you in the week so but it was cool to be thought of so it was a very interesting up and down so started real crappy 
ended real high. So it's just how it is sometimes. But let us dive into the day's topic. So today we're going to talk about all things reverse dieting. And, and what gave this idea to me is I've asked before, and I know Jeff has and Jason, what topics you guys would like for us to discuss. And reverse dieting came up. A lot of it, though, the questions were engineered to different scenarios because most people think of reverse dieting, they think of the competitor coming out of a low deficit, reversing their way up. But if you've been coaching for any amount of time and you've been starting to work with things like hormones and stress and estrogen dominance and SIBO, there are all these other things that go on combined where that you need to work with giving calories, more calories to your clients. So today we thought we would talk about an in-depth dive into all things reverse dieting with Lauren, who is awesome at the topic. So Lauren, let's begin. How many people do you get right now that you start cutting food right out of the gate when you start working with them? Very, very few. And that is, you know, I don't like to say that I have rules with, co you know, coaching because obviously everybody's situation is unique, but I would say that like nine and a half out of 10 times, I'm not going to diet somebody before working with them. Even if I have worked with them before, like a lot of times clients will, you know, kind of pause do their own thing and then come back. Even if I know their body and I've worked with them before, I'm still going to be like, Hey, let's establish, you know, a month or so, like, let's get a month under our belt of, you know, being a little bit more consistent, checking in, kind of getting used to all that, really laying that foundation and then diving into, you know, some kind of a deficit. This is of course, even more important if somebody is in a contest prep, right? Like they're trying to get into a contest prep. I'm not just gonna be like, yeah, whatever you're doing in the off season, that totally worked. Like, no, that's usually like, all right, we need to really set you up for success in the off season. And then we're going to go into a deficit. And then often to be really clear, even with lifestyle clients who have no, you know, desire to step on a stage. So their goal is less extreme. They're generally not in a position to diet. They have likely been yo-yo dieting or trying to do some type of restriction and then over, you know, overdoing it in some capacity for, you know, a long time. And they really don't have a lot of consistency. And the reason that they're failing is because they don't have the right habits. And it doesn't matter, like, you know, how perfect, you know, your starting program is. If you don't have the right habits in place, you're never going to be successful on any program, especially in a cut. So I would say that, yeah, nine and a half times out of 10, I'm not putting somebody on a deficit, nor would anybody on our team do that. Um, of course, there's always certain circumstances. Um, so I never like to say all the time, but I would say that most of the time we're not doing that. And this is certainly not a competitor thing. I think that a lot of people, like you said, think, oh, reverse diet, that must be for a competitor. But it's there's really a lot of other contexts that are even more important, um, in my opinion. And this is not like, hey, we're going to add just five carbs this week you know, the whole idea of a reverse side is, all right, getting calories up to a healthy level, getting somebody consistent, establishing the right habits. So it's not just about a certain set of macros or how high can you work your calories. It's about everything else that's involved with that too. I agree a hundred percent. So I have a question. Since you said you don't add five grams of carbs, how do you, I guess it's every client's individual because you know, people are going to be like, well, what's the magical number? And I know from experience for me, it might be 10 grams to see if the client can like handle it and not blow it to shit or 40. Yeah. If I suspect they're disciplined. I meant more or less about it's, it's not just about numbers okay. and it's also about the other aspects of when I think of a reverse diet, I think again of we're establishing these right behaviors. We're establishing the right mindset around food. We're working through, okay, what were the issues before? Why were you not reaching your goals before? Like, what are the problems here? Is it a lack of planning? Is it a negative mindset? Is it every time you get stressed, you fall off? Like, you know, there's a lot of things that we can deal with um, that are part of what I would consider the reverse diet. And yes, yeah, certainly sometimes it is adding five carbs, sometimes it's adding 40. It just depends. Sometimes it's, Hey, we're having a whole untracked day. So, but the, the calorie or the macro portion is only part of it. Whereas everything else, in my opinion, is just as important. I agree a hundred percent. So I know Sue's got questions, but I do want to ask you this follow-up when you get a Mr. And Mrs. Jones, who's your typical, just lifestyle client comes to you and you're like, Hey, we're going to need to feed you more. How do you go into that conversation with them to talk about? Because I know with most gym pop people, like, why are you feeding me this much? I'm supposed to eat like thousand calories. I'm like, well, I mean, if you're in a concentration camp perhaps, but, uh, yeah. no, <laughs> like, 
Well, this is, this is handled initially when we first talk to a client, you know, which obviously certainly kind of scares some people off, but we are always going to be upfront and honest with people. We're never going to say like, yeah, yeah, we're just going to die you. And then, you know, they sign up and then we don't do that, you know, right. We're not going to go back on that. So it it happens in the initial conversation. And generally there is some pushback because it's like, well, you know, I, I really, that this really is my goal and it's all right. Well, you know, we're going to do this for X amount of time and then we'll reassess, you know, so it's giving people a timeline that can really help instead of just saying, we're going to reverse diet until you, you know, hit a certain range, because then it's like, well, how long is that? So instead it's like, all right, here's where I could see us making progress over the next several months. Here's what I'd like to do for the next few weeks. Then we can readjust it. Then we'll go from there. And it's really being upfront with the client and saying, this is a dynamic process. You know, your metabolism is dynamic and so is everything else in your life. So I think that oftentimes, you know, people who do come to a coach, especially an online coach, they're very numbers based and they're thinking, all right, well, there is this magic number. There's this magic amount. There's, you know, what is my calorie threshold? When can I do this? Or how many pounds am I going to gain or lose? Or all these kinds of very hard questions. And it's like, you know, looking at that is always going to set you up for failure. So by having a conversation and saying, all right, we're kind of taking our eyes off of exactly how much, because I don't know how much if I'm just starting with somebody because everybody tolerates calories very differently. We all know people who can eat a lot of food and we all know people who really can't eat that much food. And if we were to compare the two, one is not better than the other. They just have very different bodies, different metabolisms. You know, you can't expect everybody to be in the same situation. So instead of focusing on that, I like to say, okay, here's the big picture. And then over the next few weeks, this is what we're going to focus on. And then we can adjust from there. And sometimes it is making a concession, you know, sometimes, you know, you have to kind of meet the client halfway Mm -hmm. and that's part of coaching too. And it might not be your optimal plan, but you know, if they're 85% there, you're like, all right, we can try this and then kind of move forward. So that's where coaching is so, so nuanced, but it's really having that conversation up front with somebody and saying, listen, what you're doing is not working. And if we tried to cut from here, nothing would happen. I agree a hundred percent. Sue, my man, you look like you're just ready to chomp at the bit and just jump on in. I have a lot of uh, questions here and, and places where we could take this, but I guess before we get too technical, so I kind of want to reframe what was just said for listeners who may not have uh, you know caught on, but basically reverse dieting, right, is giving the client more. A lot of people think about dieting as taking away, eating less, restricting, and reverse dieting is exactly the opposite of that. Now, that being said, right, so if we're talking about just overall framework and approaches, right, um, you're known for like the whole like meal plans versus macros discussion, right, Lauren? So how often do you um, prescribe macros versus putting a client on a meal plan, just because the reverse dieting process sometimes has to be so, you know, like stepped up, you know, little tiny steps at a time. Uh, would you, would you allow more leeway or would you want someone to be a little more strict about it? So we never write meal plans. That's not within what I would consider my scope. Um, and I don't feel comfortable doing that. And what we do instead actually is when people are not in a position to track because we don't have all of our clients track. Everybody comes to us in a very different level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people are like, Hey, I've been tracking my food for years. Here's how I've been doing things. Da, 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 da. Other people are like, this is kind of what I've been eating. Here's like what I've been eating in a day. I don't really have a lot of food education. So from there, we're starting with a, a lot smaller goals, right? Generally speaking, if somebody hasn't been tracking the first thing that I'm doing, or, you know, my coaches are doing is we're getting their protein up because I would say most people, who aren't actively tracking or actively trying to eat high protein, don't just do that by accident. And that's really hindering a lot of their goals. And we could make so much progress simply by eating enough protein. So generally speaking, we start with that. And then we start with the other handful of habits that we have people begin with. Once Mm -hmm. they build some competency there, then we will progress a little bit higher to maybe some more structure with, you know, macros or something like that. So it really, um, it really just depends on where the client's coming to us from. Mm -hmm. And we often too, on our, you know, on our updates, we'll have people, if they need to put like a sample day of eating, like we can look over that and give suggestions. Um, but like I said, it's not necessarily like, Hey, here's this meal plan or not. And I'm not against meal plans at all. I think that they do have specific purposes, but I often find again, for people who are just starting out, what we found to be better is working on specific habits first and Mm -hmm. kind of using like a Likert scale to, you know, work through that. And then, you know, using that grading system to kind of, you know, improve every week and then eventually transition to tracking at some point, possibly. 
All right. So, so I have a question, Sue, because I know I, you want to take it somewhere real deep because that's just, you know, you're both ends. But um, <laughs> when you when you talk about the tracking and untracked and, 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 you know, intuitive, those are like the big things in the industry right now. You have untracked, intuitive eating. Like I'll get clients who I'm like 100 pounds overweight. Well, I want to do intuitive eating. I'm like, well, what do you eat? Well, I don't know what I eat by intuitively. I'm like, well, we're going to have to kind of track a little bit to figure this out. So I guess what I'm getting at is you're basically legitimately doing what a good coach should do. Client on boards, you go through a real deep dive to understand where they're truly at to be able to prescribe them exactly what they need because the reverse diet can be utilized as Jeff wants to go in the conversation with hormones, SIBO and all that in all these different areas. But you at the very front end of it, have that initial conversation to really decide where they're going to fit into this. Yeah. Because it, 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 it doesn't make sense for me to say, Hey, every client is going to get this approach, which is what I used to do because I thought that was the best approach. And then as I've learned as a coach and as I've you know gotten feedback from clients and really listened to them and listened to their struggles, and we've worked with a wider variety of clients, it became very obvious to me that one, that isn't necessary, nor is it the most helpful thing, especially for people who are, you know, just starting out. So we have a lot of people who are just for the first time really getting a hold of kind of like, you know, what they're eating, they want to get healthier, they want to learn more about this. So, you know, why am I going to say, hey, you have to track these three numbers, like that is setting these people up for failure. Whereas, okay, I'd rather take a little bit of time to set them up for success by saying, all right, let's focus on these habits first, you know, micronutrients, right? Like processed food, like how much are you eating this processed versus whole foods, you know, fruits, vegetables, protein intake, water, sleep, like all of these kind of basic things. Let's get this in check first. Then we can kind of go from there because if somebody is, is, you know, to your example, you know, hundred pounds overweight, doesn't know what they're eating. Likely what they're doing is they're under eating some days or overeating other days. They're definitely not having enough protein because again, that just doesn't happen by accident. Like you really have to actively try to get high quality protein. And um, so they're kind of just all over the board. And instead of saying, all right, well, here's this exact thing that we need to do. Let's start, you know, to build these habits first, then we can say, okay, we checked that box. Now let's go a little bit more detailed let's do protein. Let's get a little bit more detailed. And then eventually we can get to a point where somebody is tracking. They do have an understanding of what's in their food. We can make better and more precise adjustments when somebody is tracking, of course, because that's the whole point of it. Now, do we have clients who, who diet without tracking? Yes. But that requires a more advanced client, right? So again, it just kind of depends on where the client is. Um, but for that example that you were saying, we'll start with the basic habits, then we might track protein, then we might track everything, we'll dial that in. And then eventually, if that person then wants to transition to a more intuitive approach, now they've had this span of time, where they have this food education, they understand what their portion sizes are, they understand what they should be eating, they understand when they should be eating. And then we can just kind of focus on those things. But you can't just say, hey, I want to be in eat intuitively, if you don't have any food education. And that is my biggest gripe. I know that is not the conversation we're trying to have, but that is my biggest gripe with that. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it. The, you said, like, it's kind of the new thing in the industry, right? It's not yeah. New. It's like the hot topic of the industry, right? right? Everybody should just intuitively eat. Everybody, um, you know, dieting, diet culture is is hurting everybody and like all this kind of stuff, right? And it's like, mm -hmm. there are certainly bad messages with diet culture, but saying to just eat whatever you want is also not a useful message. And that's really harmful to the people who need it most, right? So mm -hmm. I think that we're actually doing a disservice to people who don't have it. If you are somebody who has any kind of formal education in the area, particularly a degree or an internship or you're an RD or something like, say you're an RD, right? You've had multiple years of schooling. You've had internships, you've had all of these lab work. I mean, you have a, a huge amount of education and for you, it's easy or even me, I'm not an RD, but we, all of us, we've been doing this for a very long time. It's really easy to be like, oh, we'll just don't track anymore right? But for the person who doesn't know what's in their food, that can be really, really damaging. So instead of saying, hey, everybody needs to be on a meal plan, everybody needs to eat, macro, eat these three macros perfectly, which is their point to say nobody needs to do that forever. I agree. But we need to at least have some kind of education going on first so people understand what they should be eating and shouldn't be eating. So I think that the message is good, but it's gotten kind of misconstrued along the way, as always, because again, social media kind of inflames everything. Yep. So I think that 
you know, eating intuitively is amazing. I mean, that's, that's technically what I do now. I don't track things, but I've been tracking or had tracked food for many years of my life. I'm very aware of what is in food. I understand portion sizes. I understand when I'm making, you know, a better choice versus a more calorie <laughs> indulgent choice. But if somebody didn't have all that background, they wouldn't know the difference. So I think that it's really important that we focus on the education piece first. And then we can eventually move to whatever method works best for that client in particular. I agree with you hundred percent because like, I'll tell people when they'll come to me, I'm like, look, man, we have to at least know where you're at before we can figure out where you're going. Like I made a short video I'm putting out uh, tomorrow about it, but you know, 25 years I've been working out. I understand like what shit is in the X, Y, Z. I could get away with month on end, be intuitively and look in the mirror and be like, okay, well, I probably need to pull it back together and kind of pay attention to where I'm at and pull things back down. But you're getting people who have no education. That you know, it's like people trying to just jump into the stock market with no education. You got to have some background. And I think reverse dieting gives good framework to that, especially as you get into some of these other cases. Now, Jeff, I'm going to let you talk for a minute because Sorry, I, I kind of took that in a different direction. No, I, I loved it because, because, you know, like you, here's the deal. Coaches who are listening to this and actually clients who are going to listen to this or anyone who's listening to this, 90% of the people I deal with is gym pop. 89% of that 90% usually needs to eat up going into stuff like in have to have an idea and you're getting more and more people being like, well, I don't want to track it. Uh, it's just this, or I want to eat intuitively because of this. And I'm like, well, cool, but you didn't have any success tracking. So then what makes you think you're going to have any success doing this without understanding the educational component of what food really is. And I feel that's a good vital background for this conversation. So we're yeah, I like how, you know, Lauren, you talked about, you know, your, your beliefs and, um, you know, approaches with that baseline education. I just want to say that what I do is I will put people on, you know, straight, I call it, we, on my team, we call it the dog diet. And it's basically like, you know, how, if you love your dog, you feed it the same kibble every day. So it has a nice shiny coat. So I tell my clients, you're going to be on this strict plan. You're going to be eating basically, you know, these foods that I picked out for you based off of your preferences and stuff like that, but also stuff that I think is good. And then I educate them through that plan and through that structure. It's like training wheels that I've slapped on first. And then as they're riding, I will teach them as they go. Um, from my perspective, I found that a lot of gem pop people have a lot of anxiety. And so by putting these training wheels on right from the get-go, I'm able to kind of guide them a little bit faster. Not to say that, you know, baseline education like your approach or Jeff's approach is, is wrong or inferior in any sense, but that's just how I do it. Um, now, what, so now that we've talked about like overall framework of approaching this situation, you know, a lot of people listening to this, you know, might be wondering, okay, well, how long am I going to have to do this for? How long am I going to have to reverse for? What are the signs? Are we what signs are we looking for to indicate that I'm ready for a prep, that I'm ready to lean down for the beach again or for the wedding? So, you know, a lot of us, you know, run lab work. You know, Lauren, you've talked about, you know, educate educating, building that mindset. So what are some things that you look for and what time frames are you looking for these things to happen? So I think that for first, if somebody has exited a diet scenario, right? So say somebody has just finished a diet um, or some kind of a deficit, you know, we're going to want to at least spend that amount of time off, if not more. So that's always kind of like a good rule of thumb for people. You know, if you spent six months dieting, you're going to need at least six months not dieting that again, these are not hard and fast rules. It's generally a little bit longer, but it's kind of a good framework to look at. If a new client is coming to you and you've never worked with them before and you know, they may have dieted for a little bit, or they're kind of doing just the kind of classic yo-yo approach, not really sure. Some weeks are up, some weeks are down. Um, for that person, okay, how long should we reverse? It really depends on how long they were doing their kind of yo-yo dieting before, you know, how consistent were they before? And also where, you know, roughly is their caloric intake when they're coming to you? You know, are they somebody who they're kind of like, hey, you know, I haven't really been too consistent, but this is kind of where I'm, I'm roughly at. And honestly, it's not too low of an intake. And it's like, all right, well, for this client, we can kind of easily, you know, work them up a little bit and really just kind of dial in their habits, dial in their consistency, kind of get that going. That person might only need to reverse for two or three months, right? If it's a client who comes to me who really has their shit together and is like, listen, this is how much I'm roughly eating on a, you know, weekly basis. This, you know, I have this many untracked meals. This is kind of what I'm doing. You know, cardio is low. I'm training a few days a week. All right, that person might be like, okay, we're just going to tighten this up just a bit. 
going to get used to check-ins and then that might be a month for somebody else. It might be like, they're really not eating a lot. Their protein is super low. They have been off and on for the past 10 or 15 years. That's we're not jumping right into a diet. And that would be doing a really big disservice if I did that to a client or anybody on our team did that. So that for that person, it's going to be like, all right, we might be working that up a little bit slower, but often for that person, they're not really going to gain a lot of weight. So they don't really get too upset that we're not dieting right away. You know what I mean? Um, honestly, just that consistency and just kind of bringing things up really kind of gets them to a good spot. And then it's like, all right, now we can readjust. But if somebody comes to me and they have that kind of a history, I'm very honest. And it's like, all right, we don't know how long this is going to take, but it's, it's not going to be a few months. So, but if, you know, we take the next year in perspective, you're going to be in a lot better place than you were this year. Um, but this is not going to be in two months we're dieting. And as far as the psychological aspect goes, if somebody is always like, I need to diet, I need to diet. I hate how I look. I'm so fat. I, I'm fluffy all the time. I just want, we're not dieting hundred percent. I am not dieting a client who's constantly saying that. Now, of course hmm. we all have bad low body image days. We all have weeks where we're like, man, like I really just don't like how I look. That is totally different. But if somebody is hyper obsessed with dieting and like almost has their identity tied into a calorie deficit, then that's when I go, okay, you, this is borderline becoming a problem and mm. I'm not going to feed into the problem by dieting, especially if this person is at a normal body composition. If this person, of yeah. course, you know, needs to lose weight for health reasons, that's very different. Um, yeah. But most of the time, the, those, the people who are in that category are really at a normal body weight. They just view themselves very negatively. Mm-hmm. We, we have to really take a step back. All right, let's work on your mindset possibly refer you to a therapist. Like there's a lot of things that might be happening there um, that I'm very aware of because it, yeah. I don't want to create more of a problem, you know, like, right. so. Yeah. So um, Lauren, so taking into, as an example, like, let's say, you know, you get a female client, you know, uh, former competitor, years of uh, hypothalamic amenorrhea. She hasn't had a period in years. You know, you get that from competitors, you get that from, you know, other gen pop clients as well. And like you said, you know, you're not going to diet them down until um, they they are healthy. Um, and obviously there's a risk of that client leaving your team because they are frustrated and they want someone who will diet them down. So what do you say to people who are like, you know, Lauren, I'm frustrated with you. I want to be lean now. What's your response? And also what sort of benchmarking are you using as sort of key performance indicators to allow them to have mini goals to reach as yeah. they are, you know, going down this dark tunnel with no light, light at the end? For sure, because that is a really dark tunnel, especially when somebody is dealing with these hormonal issues, they are very, very slow. Um, And the rate of recovery is very different for clients. You know, I have a client in particular that I'm thinking of, it has been over two years now that she has not been able to regain a cycle. She has literally done, I mean, everything right. She is not dieted. She's at a healthy body weight. She's reduced her training. She gets her hormones tested all the time. She's supplement. I mean, like she's doing everything. What? Two years. Yeah. Wow. And she's working with specialists. Like, I mean, there's, there's a lot going on, you know, and, um, there was, there was a lot of compounding factors. They just kind of all came together that weren't addressed. And now it's been a really long time. Right. So how frustrating is that for somebody? Right. But she understands, okay, this is my goal. This is what I've been trying to do as much as I want to get back on stage, as much as I want to diet, that is not going to help my goals. And, you know, I'm thinking of another client that I have in this situation who, you know, her, her, her issues with hormonal stuff are a little bit different because, you know, kids are probably not in the picture. Right. So it's, it's not that it's not of importance, but it's a little bit of a different importance. Right. And you kind of reach a certain stage in your life. Um, but for somebody like that, it's like, all right, you know, let's just say somebody's on this kind of path trying to get my cycle back or just regulate it. Um, you know, and you know, we need to get calories up. We need to do all these things. Well, that is where it's, it's really hard because as a coach, I don't want to fuel the problem. And oftentimes going into a deficit, no matter how short it is, is going to fuel the problem. And what I tell this client when they are frustrated, it's like, all right, this is where I'm coming from as a coach. I'm not trying to be malicious. I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable. I'm trying to help you to the best of my ability. Um, But right now this deficit isn't in the cards and here's all the reasons why here's all the reasons why it's going to set you back. And here are all the other things that we can focus on right now. And sometimes, you know, people don't want to hear that and they will leave. 
but ultimately I'm not going to put somebody in a position that I think is going to harm them in the long run or that they're not, you know, they're not fully okay with, right? You know, if say somebody comes to you and they want to diet and they haven't really taken enough time off and they're like, listen, you know, I had a really good season last year. I want to get back on stage this year. I know I didn't have a long enough off season, but I take that into consideration. I know we're probably gonna have to push a little bit harder. I'm willing to do it. And I understand the risks. Okay. We're going to do it. I'm not, but that person has to be fully aware of what they are getting into. So the same thing with the hormonal issue or the, just the, the, how long is a reverse diet or, you know, when is the appropriate time to diet? You need to know what you're getting into. If your goal, which you're telling me is to regain your cycle or to stabilize your hormones and being in a calorie deficit is going to harm that. Well, this is like, we got to lay all this out. And that's of course, when, you know, blood work comes in and, and, you know, specialists and all these kinds of things have to be like a multidisciplinary thing because some things are just completely out of my control. You know, I cannot prescribe, of course, any kind of hormones or any kind of replacements that, you know, like that's just not yeah. what I can do. Um, so sometimes it requires that sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it's okay. We need to manage stressors. We need to change your stress perception. You might need to, you know, be in therapy. You might need to be changing all these habits. And sometimes that's enough you know, and then on top of eating more, taking time away from dieting, reducing output. Sometimes it's not, sometimes it needs a more advanced approach. So it really just depends. And I would say for that client who's frustrated with me, because I've had this happen, I'm always just very honest. Here's where you're at. And this is what, you know, if we do this now, here's, you know, it's going to push you back this way. So if you want to do that, that's fine, but I can't support that. Um, And then they make their decision based on that. And some people go, you know what? Thank you. I was, I wasn't in the right mindset. I, you know, was, was kind of rushing it. I was just feeling really erratic that week. I'm glad that we did this. Other people are like, you know what? I'm going to go somewhere else. And I'm like, that's great. I wish you all the best. Um, and I hope that this works out for you. And so it just really just depends on the person. Um, but as a coach, anybody who's listening who's a coach, being honest with people and you staying true to what you think is best for the client is always going to be the best approach. And you said, what benchmarks do I look for? So one, of course, you know, we are going to look at basic calorie intake, right? Like that, that is one thing that we're looking at. Um, you know, body size is going to be very important here. If somebody is, you know, very tiny versus somebody who's very, you know, tall, five foot client versus six foot client, very different story with how many calories they can eat. Um, so I don't like to give total ranges, but I would say, you know, for like a smaller female, if somebody's like 1800, that might be okay. Um, but usually like as a very basic rough guideline. I'd like to be around 2000 um, and above, but that's just, again, a kind of a good benchmark to be around. Um, there are differences, certainly, but I would say that that's a pretty good place to be spending enough time outside of a deficit. That's another thing that I'm going to be looking at. Um, and their relationship with food, you know, are they constantly talking about dieting? They're constantly talking about how much they hate their body or are they in a good place? You know, they're like, all right, I'm focusing on these other things. And, you know, training, how are they training? Are they recovering? Are they growing? Are they sleeping well? You know, all those things, you know, if, you know, how is their cycle if they are, you know, not on birth control, you know, have they had blood work done? How does that look? So we're looking at all of these things that are, you know, numerical, but it's not like a, there's only one number, right? Like, and I said the 2000 thing and I'm, I'm almost like, oh, do I even say that? Because sometimes people can get so latched onto numbers. It's a good benchmark. Vince is throwing it out before in his, in the PECs we've talked about. Okay. Like 2K being a number. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just like a good kind of yeah. basic number. Again, there's plenty of people who eat way more than that or need to eat way more than that. And there's some people who eat a little bit less than that and they are perfectly content. You know, that's one thing that I've learned with certain clients is that some people just honestly, their bodies do not tolerate a lot of food. And there is no point of force feeding them if their body does not tolerate it, right? Right. Just like I have some clients who are very, very small who can eat a ton of food. I have Mm -hmm. other clients who, you know, you're like, oh man, this person's tall, they got a lot of muscle. And they are kind of just chilling, you know, on these moderate calories, but for all intents and purposes, all their other biofeedback is great. So why am I going to push their food? So, you know, so you really have to listen to the client there. And again, that's what I've learned over the years, you know, before you be like, all right, everybody has to work their food up super high. For some people, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way and that's okay. Um, But I would say that, yeah, looking at total calories, looking at their relationship with food, how long they spend away from dieting, you know, what does your cycle look like? Are they training well? Are they recovering? Are they sleeping? Now, these are all things that we're going to be looking at to see, okay, is somebody ready? And, you know, like we talked about, you want to give them, you, know, you want to give clients some kind of benchmark because one problem that, you know, all of us and just our 
our industries because it is so dynamic and we can't really give specifics. That can be really frustrating for a client. You know, like you said, uh, so like the, the dark tunnel, right? Like you're just kind of mm-hmm. going through it. You're like, well, when's I, when am I going to get out of this? And while we don't like to give specific timelines necessarily, sometimes it's like, all right, we're going to do this for the next four weeks and then we'll be able to adjust, you know? So you're kind of giving people some kind of at least like, you know, timeline that they can focus on. Um, and the other big thing to wrap that whole thing up is when somebody needs to spend a lot of time in a reverse diet, which oftentimes again happens with clients who've been yo-yo dieting for most of their life, really need to nail that consistency down. I really like people to focus on outside of fitness things or just different fitness things. Yeah. So, you know, most people who are coming to us, like they're pretty good to go with like weightlifting and, you know, some cardio, but it's like, Hey, you know, do you, do you read? Do you like listening to podcasts? Do you like taking yoga classes? Do you ever do meditations? Do you do like creative artwork type stuff? Like, can you go do this class? Like, I want people to go do things that are, you know, beneficial to them. It's not that it has to take up like their whole life. I don't need you to go take up a whole new hobby. Um, But if you can do something for yourself, that's even 10 minutes a day, that's not fitness related that we can focus on improving. That's really, really useful. I agree with you 100%. I think getting them to look into other areas, like I'm always like, hey, walking, yoga, knitting, you know, like just look at shit, man. That's cool stuff. I, I'm actually getting into furniture restoration when I get my house. I'm going to go buy like an antique piece and like restore it. Just something to do. Just screw within an hour to a week, you know? It's different. And I think that that's really important. And people, you know, we get very, now not everybody, some people are, you know, they do this and their whole life is completely different, right? Like some people just kind of like, Hey, I have a coach, but like everything else in my life is not fitness related. But a lot of times people are very into this and it can feel like it's all consuming, but it's like, no, no, no. Like you need to do other outside things. And I find that the people who have those outlets, again, doesn't need to be some like really extensive thing, but they have these outlets. They're much more successful no matter what we're doing. Yeah, I agree. Now, when you're getting clients and, and do you use blood work for some of that? If so, what are some of the values that you're looking at? Because I know we had questions we were wanting to talk about like estrogen dominance and some of these different stuff. So what are some markers you're looking at there and what kind of makes your decisions on where you're going to go based on that? Yeah. So I recommend typically not, not for everybody, you know, first I'm going to start with, okay, you know, I understand that obviously blood work is expensive. Um, unless somebody comes to me and says they're, you know, they're having all of these issues, I would say, okay, let's start with the other stuff first. And then Correct. we'll kind of do blood work down the line. That's generally my approach. Um, but when I do recommend blood work for the most part, I'll recommend it's called the life extension it's from Life Ascension and it's called the Comprehensive Weight Loss Panel. I didn't name it. It's not for weight loss. Okay. Uh, people get mad at me all the time for that. I don't know why. I'm like, I, I didn't name this. <laughs> um, you mean you didn't get kickback either for, for referring everybody to Life Extinction? No, I don't. But I honestly, I've sent this link to like thousands of people. I know. I need to get, I'm like, man, we need to get a hookup for this. <laughs> um, but it's a great panel. I mean, it doesn't have everything, but it has a lot of stuff. It has yeah. full thyroid, full sex hormones, vitamin D, CRP. Um, it's a CBC, CMP, um, and all the insulin sensitivity factors. So it's a pretty comprehensive look. So one of the thing, one of the first things that I look at honestly is actually vitamin D because most people are really low on vitamin D and, um, it's something that's so simple to correct. Of course, um, you know, you could go outside a little bit more, but obviously that depends on the type of skin that you have, depends on where you live, you know, how well you synthesize that. I live in Florida and I go outside for walks and I still have to take a lot of vitamin D every day. I just, I'm just like the, I don't know. just so because you're the queen of darkness. Yeah, right? pr- pretty much. I'm, literally, I'm actually a vampire. So I have to take a lot of vitamin D's pretty much what I'm getting at guys. But so that's one thing that's super, super simple to look at. Of course, if somebody's, you know, fasted insulin is really, really high, that's going to be a little bit concerning along with, you know, their HbA1c. We're going to look at those two things. That's one factor. I, I do look at fasted blood glucose and I will do that obviously on a case by case basis too, but that can be really skewed in the morning. Anyways, that's another thing to look at. Um, and so say, you know, their hormones are, you know, maybe skewed, right? Let's say like their thyroid is really low, or let's say that, you know, their other hormones are just kind of out of whack. That's where I go, okay, here's, you know, I can give the suggestion. This is a little bit off. Um, and what I love about life extension is probably one of my favorite parts about life extension is not only can you just buy the stuff, like you can just buy your blood work. They do have a really awesome group of people who work there that 
clients can call them and you know have them like review the blood work as well so they have a staff of like doctors and things like that so um i'll be like hey you know this is a little bit off here's i'd recommend bringing this up to them talk to them here um crp of course if somebody's like whole body inflammation is you know really really high it's like all right let's take this into consideration so oftentimes it's you know i guess i'm sometimes I'm not surprised by the blood work, right? Like if you can like, if you've had a client who's like not responding to certain stuff, you're like, let's get this done. And then you're like, well, that kind of confirmed it. You know what I mean? Um, but sometimes it does show you things that you were really surprised about. So I do think that that's a really good panel just as kind of a really good baseline. It hits a lot of the markers. And then there's certain things that I feel comfortable addressing. And then other things is like, hey, you know, you can either go bring this to your specialist or you can go call them and they can handle it. So there's a few good things there that I really like. Um, but of course, if somebody's been dieting for a long time, it's pretty much going to be expected that their thyroid's a little bit off. Um, you know, if they've just come off of a deficit or something, I really don't like as, as again, as another rule of thumb, if somebody's just been dieting and they say, Hey, should I do blood work? It's like, I really wouldn't waste your money. It's going to be low or, or high, depending on what you're getting. So let's just wait a few months. Um, so that would be probably not, a, that's not an ideal time to get blood work. So I would at least wait three months after you know a deficit to get your blood work done and if somebody's just starting out i wouldn't say that it's necessary but a few months down the road if things are kind of just not clicking or you know things are feeling off it's certainly something that i will recommend mm. you know with the lab work it's funny i like to get lab work when i am at my absolute unhealthiest after a prep when i've been pounding like you know halo testin and winnie and trend because you know if you can't have me if you can't take me at my worst you can't have me at my best well now, I do Such think it's valuable diva. to get it done, but monetarily speaking, if yeah. somebody has to choose when to get their blood work done, it's probably going to be fucked. You know what I mean? So yeah. we might as well save your money. If you want to do it as like an experiment and you just are nerdy and you can do that, I'm all for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I totally get it. Because sometimes you want to just see like how bad yeah. is how close am I to liver failure? Like, <laughs> but you know, I want to go back and just kind of like reiterate one thing. We were talking about how, you know, 2000 seems to be a really good, you know, general number. And I just want to make clear that, you know, we're all very unique in our metabolic rates. You know, what's a surplus or a deficit to one person is completely different than another. We all have different set points, metabolisms and all that stuff. So you may not be able to work up to 2000, maybe 1800 would be good for you. You know, and, you know, I'll speak from experience. I have a client who's like 93 pounds. She's this tiny, tiny, like 4'11 girl, but she can eat 2,400 calories a day. And yet I have other women who are bigger, you know, taller, more mass on them. Um, and I can't work them past 1,800 or they'll get bloated. They just, they just shut down. Like, you know, the leptin and ghrelin, they just don't want to eat anymore. And at that point, why would you force food, Right. Um, but Lauren, I wanted to kind of like get into more of the technical side of macros in terms of structuring a reverse diet and begin by asking you, are there any ceilings or floors in terms of the macros? Like where would you start protein? How high would you take it, et cetera, for carbs and fats? Like, do you have any general guidelines? So in a perfect world, I really like working people between one to 1.2 grams per pound awesome. um, so for kilos not too sure off the top of my head, but that's where we are with pounds. Um, now, if somebody is starting really low, like we talked about, you know, that kind of introductory client who's just getting started, they're not even eating anywhere near one gram per pound, right? Like that's like a dream. So I'm not going to say, Hey, you're eating 40 grams a day. Let's go to 160. That's not going to happen. So we need to set some kind of a baseline. Hey, let's have three meals a day with 30 grams of protein, right? That's not perfect, but that's certainly better than what you were doing. And then we can kind of titrate up. But in a perfect world, I would really like most people can do really well around that one gram-ish. And then I've just seen anecdotally people really seem to thrive with a little bit of higher intakes. Now, again, there's certain people who just don't tolerate it very well. I'm somebody who tolerates high protein and a lot of animal protein, like very well, like meat, like I can eat it, no problem, no digestive issues. Um, some other people, you know, their like capacity to eat is just a lot lower than mine, right? So that protein obviously fills you up. So appetite plays a role here, but if I can keep people around a gram, I really like that, but I will work people up if they tolerate it. 
I don't generally really go over 1.2. I'm, I'm mostly working with females and um, they're mostly unassisted, you know, so mm. it, it just doesn't really make sense to have too much more. So um, mm. that's where I like to be for protein. Now, most of my clients, not all, but most of my clients are on a carb-based plan, meaning, um, you know, most of them are eating carbs. So versus somebody who's doing a ketogenic approach. Every once in a while, I have somebody who does that. Um, so of course, carbs are going to be at a certain like they have to be at a lower threshold and then we can work fats up. But for most of my clients, um, we're doing higher carb, moderate fat. So I would say that the range for fats, again, this is very dependent on the people, but I find that most of the time when you are eating, you know, over a certain amount of carbs, let's say you're eating over 200 grams of carbs. Mm -hmm. If you get fat too high, people start really packing on weight. Yeah. Yeah you just can't have it both ways. You know, the, the way to have an, like an obesogenic diet is literally 50, 50 carbs and fat calories. And people don't realize maybe they do, but we often forget that the amount of like calories in fat is so much higher, obviously than, than, well, than carbs. So if something has 10 grams of fat and 22 carbs, that's like the perfect hyper palatable food. You know what I mean? So if your diet reflects that, that is not really going to be the best for body composition. So I, again, not a hard rule because certain people tolerate it differently, but if somebody is eating over 200 grams of carbs and they're eating a, you know, moderately higher protein intake, like over that one gram, I really don't love taking people higher than like 65, mm -hmm. 60. Yeah. Um, again, some people can, can do it. They're eating 300 carbs, 350 carbs, 80 fat. They're banging body composition, right? That person can tolerate it. Other people, they need to be like 55 fat and higher carb, you know? So yeah. it really just depends on the individual, but I would say that the always protein is the kind of the baseline. I like to get people up to a gram. If I can work them higher, great. If they're starting low, we need to bring that up. Fats, I do like to kind of keep in a range and I'll really crank the carbs up if somebody is a carb-based person. And that's where we're seeing a lot of those changes. So generally speaking, there's slow fat increases, slow protein increases, if they're already kind of at that one gram um, baseline, and then the, the carb increases are higher. I love it. That makes things so, so clear. And I got to say, I agree with all that because, you know, with the fat ranges, like I range, and this isn't just about reverse dieting, but in terms of just, you know, nutrition for women, my fat will range anywhere from like 20 grams to like 70 to 80 grams. You yeah. know, like I've had to take women down to 20 grams, you know. Oh, dieting. Yeah. Yeah. Dieting is a different story. Some people, the people who don't tolerate the fats with the carbs also right. don't seem to tolerate the fats while dieting. dieting. Yeah. And then vice versa. Some people, they are kind of very consistent in their reverse or their off season. And then yep. you diet them and their body just does not respond to carbs in a deficit. Right. So it's one of those things where you're like, all right, like we just really have to kind of see how the person is doing, you know, What's your diet history like? What have you done before? What did you like? All that kind of stuff. But it's certainly a unique thing. And I feel like the range for fats is a lot lower mm -hmm. um, to deviate, whereas carbs can fluctuate a lot more if somebody's a carb-based person. Right. No, I totally agree. Um, Jeff, did you have a question or, or do you want me to? Yeah, actually, she had talked about earlier, you know, when you get blood work, the thyroid is downregulated. I was wondering how you address clients who come with you with Hashimoto's because you're seeing that more and more with women. Um, at least I am. And I, I, we have kind of similar you know, clients we, we go yeah. with. So um, how are you working with that on the reverse diet? And what are you doing with the macros there? I, obviously, carbs have to go down a little bit. You're looking at gluten. You're looking at different stuff. So how do you address that? I would say that if somebody has been diagnosed with that or they get blood work and it's like, Hey, this is possibly, you know, where we're at, then I say, okay, you know, you decide, are you going to do the medication route? Are you going to try to use, you know, natural supplementation? Mm -hmm. That is kind of your discussion with you and your provider. Um, keep me in the loop. I need to know if you're adding medications, taking them out, all of this kind of stuff. Um, but as far as diet goes, what I've just find honestly with people who are, you know, have thyroid issues is that we're just not going to be able to work them up as high. Even if they have their medication, even if their levels are regulated, um, it just doesn't seem like they can get as high in my experience. Now, maybe that's just the clients that I've been working with. I agree with you. But even if their thyroid is in a good range now by, you know, medication, it still just doesn't seem that they can tolerate the food as much, but they don't necessarily have the issues that they were having when they 
weren't on the thyroid meds, you know? So, so there's obviously benefits to having, you know, your thyroid in a good place. Sometimes though, it doesn't always translate metabolically. So um, generally speaking for those people, we're going to keep them in a smaller range of, you know, cause like we talked about, there's some people you just kind of hit this threshold on the way up and it's like, they just keep gaining every week. And you're like, why am I going to keep pushing this person? This doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? So probably not going to be able to work them up as high. And then when I am bringing them down, I'm going to bring them down a little bit slower. And I'm just, I just, I'm very upfront with them and say, listen, you know, your progress is likely just going to be a little bit slower here. And that's, you know, we want to be a little bit gentler with the method. We might still have to get aggressive, but it's not just going to be like overnight. You know, we really have to kind of work that down. So the range is just smaller, it seems like. Um, and I find this happens too with um, older clients as well. Their metabolisms just don't handle the food as well. Yeah. You know, it, it would be great to work their food mm -hmm. up super high, but it's just, they just don't tolerate it as well. Um, and again, we're going to try to slowly bring that down and, mm. you know, we're going to have to have a smaller kind of window. They're just not as resilient. I would. Say. I, I agree. As I've got older, I can tell you, I eat completely differently than I did. Like even almost two, three years ago, just the way yeah. I just can't handle, especially too much protein. I now have a threat. I used to be like, hey, eat anything. Now once I'm over about 325, I start getting acid reflux and just all yeah. these other terrible things. So I agree with you hundred percent with that. Yeah. One strategy I just want to add uh, and contribute to this, um, you know, feeding up for older um, clients topic is that I will use um, feeding up in waves. So for example, I have one client, I think she's in her fifties female um, with diverticulitis as well. And so, well, I'll, I'll push her up to a surplus and then I'll pull her back for like two weeks. And then we go right back into a surplus a little bit higher and like this, and then we've been able to go higher and higher every time and yeah. she's able to tolerate a little bit better. Yeah. And that's where it, it, that's why it's so hard to give out numbers, right? Because for that client, you know, that's so unique. And then for somebody else listening, you know, I think one of the hardest things is that, especially on social media, of course, everybody, you know, gets to see like the, you know, the super lean, super tiny, uh, you know, chicks who seem to be shredded all year and really jacked or eating 400 carbs. And you're like, oh my God, why isn't that me? And it's like, the amount of people who can realistically do that is so small. <laughs> um, that is just really not possible for people. Like, I want to see that person in 10 years, not saying that they might not be able to do that, but they likely will not, especially if they've gone through several cycles of a competition season, you know, your first season or two, like, yeah, you can probably do that. Um, and some people luckily maintain that metabolic capacity for a very long time. Um, maybe even their whole life. But for the majority of people who've had a dieting history, which most women do, um, who don't have a ton of muscle mass, you know, they're kind of always actively working on that. They're not going to be able to do that. So looking at that and thinking that that should be you is just really damaging because what is the point? It's not going to be you. <laughs> so let's not look at that. Um, so I think that we should just really kind of recalibrate what is normal and I think that too low and too high are both normalized, right? It's like yeah. when I'm dieting, I'm just eating tilapia and asparagus. I'm doing three hours of cardio. And you're like, whoa, probably not the best approach for, you know, of course, everybody has to do crazy shit at the end of a competition prep to get it. But, you know, that's kind of was always the norm for these like 16 week preps. And you're like, yikes. Yeah. Then the other norm is like, no, no, no. I do 10 minutes of cardio. I just walk and I eat 400 carbs and look at me and you're like, what? That's also not the norm, you know? So it's yeah. kind of like, we have to recalibrate kind of what is the, the yeah. average experience for somebody. And it's likely going to be around maybe that 2000 calorie range, um, maybe a little more, maybe a little bit less. And that's kind of, you know, more normal and yeah. more like that actually fits into a normal life. It's, and honestly, it's fun to eat 400 carbs, but it really is challenging for, again, for most people who are not like, they want to make bodybuilding their whole life. You know, right. most people don't want to do that. You know what I mean? It's really hard to eat 400 grams of carbs and eat like 50 grams of fat. And you're constantly eating and you're constantly worried about stuff. Like most people would rather be at like a normal level anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know, one thing I want to add here is like, um, you know, I like to think about, you know, our metabolisms and our capacity to stay lean or eat a lot, kind of like, uh, you know, well, it's our genetics, right? And I like to relate that to like an inheritance from your parents. Mm -hmm. And so some of us have simply not inherited a, uh, the longevity for, um, you know, that type of lifestyle. So at, at some point you're, you're spending more than, than you have. 
and you're going to end up with nothing, you know, at some point. Um, and other people's inheritances or genetics just carry them a little further. Yeah. The same way we see people who, you know, go through one or two really tough preps and yeah. it's like nothing ever happened to them. Right. Other people, I mean, have problems for. Oh, yeah. After one prep, they don't look like they ever worked out. And you're like, how yeah. is this possible? But there's, you know, again, everybody just has a different kind of genetic, you know, coin. And that's a conversation a lot of people feel uncomfortable talking about. And it's like, no, this is genetics are real, <laughs> like, especially when we're talking about this type of stuff. You know, yeah. how fast you build muscle, how you keep muscle, how much you can eat, like how you digest foods like that is all a very real thing you know, and yeah. you can't expect to be like, all of us are very different and that's okay. So Jeff, do you have a final question? You want me to wrap this baby up with Miss Lauren? Um, no, I, I was just going to say that, you know, I have, I have one client on my team who was um, a first time competitor. She was, um, you know, given fat burners and, you know, like clombuterol, anavar, all that thing. First time, never had a chance to compete natural. And she has been completely fucked hormonally and mentally uh, ever since then. The show was years ago. Yeah. So, yeah, be careful out there. That's so oh, yeah. The only thing I ever had from a prep was a Zanny problem from using half a Xanax the last three weeks before my junior national show. I couldn't sleep. And that was before, like, I, you know, cortisol wasn't really talked about in 2017. It was kind of like not really discussed in that sense. And like, I was just like, I'll just take half a Xanax. And then, coming off those that was horrible that's hey, but man. otherwise i'm bulletproof when it comes to prep at least your hamstrings are good enough for junior nationals that's true that's true i mean even with my shitty fucking broken yeah. legs they're not too bad i guess uh lauren what is there anything else you'd like to cover i feel like we've gotten pretty much really broad range there you know you you brought out the coaching bomb of like hey i listen to my clients and if it, depending upon where they're at is where i meet them we talked about there's no infinite number or no finite number to do this, should I say. Um, we talked about the hormones. We talked about the blood work that you look out. I'm trying to think. I think we feel like we cover that top to bottom for the topic of reverse dieting. I feel like we did. As always, that's, you know, that's why I love podcasts, because you can be nuanced with it. Mm -hmm. And you can go down these different paths. Um, the one thing I want to wrap up is kind of what I was saying at the end. You know, I think we really need to, you know, have an understanding of what is kind of normal, you know, or what should be, what should be considered normal and, um, you know, quick progress, especially in the terms of reverse diet, especially the way that we were framing it. Mm -hmm. Um, the fat faster is usually not better in this case. So this process is likely going to take longer than you expected. It's going to be way less glamorous than expected. Um, you know, there, there's nothing as fun, like reverse dieting is not nearly as fun as, you know, being in a deficit and seeing these like daily changes, you know, there's maybe weekly changes you see, or every few weeks, right? Um, you know, the first few weeks are fun because you're adding food and you're like, yeah, I like to eat more. And then after a while you're like, okay, well, I kind of feel the same all the time. And you're like, that's actually the point. <laughs> we want, your body should be feeling this consistency. It should be feeling very just comfortable. Like that's where we want to be. Um, so I think that the most important thing is adding in other things to your life that will be able to take your mind off of just dieting. And if that really is an absolute fixation for you, that is something that needs to be worked on. And that is not something that will be solved with dieting. Great closing points. A hundred percent. So if you're listening to this and you're interested in reverse dieting, you hopefully got a lot of information to come over and hopefully have a couple of listens. Lauren, where can everyone find you, follow you, enjoy your knowledge and journey? So when I'm not hating on social media, my <laughs> Instagram is at Lauren Conlin. So L-A-U-R-I-N. If you spell it right, you'll find my name. And then my company is at Team Local Fit. And our, that is our website as well, teamlocalfit.com. On there, we have articles that we put out every week. And we also put out two podcasts a week. So you can listen to that on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. So that is the Team Local Fit Roundtable. That's what our podcast is called. But everything is on the website in case you forget. And I can give that to you to put in the show notes. Wow, you're awesome. breaking it out. Two two podcasts a week. Yep, they're a little bit shorter. Um, some are. It just really depends. Some I would say that most are around thirty minutes each. 
Um, sometimes they're longer depending on the guest. Sometimes they're longer depending on the topic. I would say that most of the time it's just me and the coaches. That's how we do it. We basically rotate between myself and the three coaches and the therapists that we have on the team as well. So we kind of go through that. And then every once in a while, we bring on a guest for, you know, this series. So really just kind of depends on the topic, but yeah, we try to do two a week, which has been, like I said, that's where we put a lot of our effort and I'm hoping that it, you know, continues to build. So that's our goal. Awesome. Do you enjoy doing it? Yes. 100% that the, you know, the best part about it is, like I said, the nuance that's involved with the podcast versus like a post. Um, But of course you have to have people to listen to it. So growing it, of course, you have to talk about it on different platforms and that all takes time, but eventually that is where I I hope that most of the attention goes to. And um, because the people who are willing to listen to a podcast and are interested in listening to a podcast are most likely going to be interested in our coaching methods. I agree hundred percent. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us. I see you like in what, like eight, 10 weeks or so, something like that. You're up in Nashville. Uh, we do have a mechanical bull. Sue is looking to defend his title. Um, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. You don't know it yet, but you are. So, (laughs) um, but we look, I look forward to seeing you and showing you my city and for anyone else. I'm so pumped. It's going to be great. Um, all right. Well, Guys, it was nice chat with y'all. I'll see y'all soon. Peace. All right. See you guys.